Motorcycle Man. This is Ted, and this is Motorcycle Men. This is uh, Season 2, Episode number 29. I am flying solo here at the V-Twin Cafe, uh, and that's for a good reason. Uh, what, we are, what you're about to hear coming up is a, an interview that I had done with uh, Dell from Dell Boys Garage. He's in Britain, otherwise known as England or the UK, and uh, he has a YouTube channel called Dell Boys Garage. This uh, interview was basically just to talk to him about his channel and uh, the assistance that he provides uh, and the service he provides for us motorcycle people. Uh, it is a wonderful website. If you get a chance to check it out, it's on YouTube. It's called Del Boy's Garage. Look it up. It would be worth your time. So uh, following now is uh, the interview that I had with uh, Del, uh, also Derek, uh, from uh, Del Boy's Garage. All right, so please check this out. Well, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be involved with this. Um, it's great. Uh, I'm very glad we could do this because uh, I've been watching your YouTube stuff for years, and I'm really <laughs> impressed with what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. It, um, it's been a long road, actually. We only realized recently it's just it's been five years since we first uploaded a video. I watched a guy in California. Um, but if you're interested, I'll tell you where it started. Um, how it all began, you know, how the story began. Sure, go right ahead. There's a chap called Dan Bethel in California, and he just, him and his brother were building a truck in the garage, and I just love the way they did it. They just filmed it as they went on mobile phones, and it was real. It was absolutely real. Um, I don't think the guy was working at the time, or he was working in a way that he had daytimes free, and he just, every single day, there was another upload, and I watched them build an old 50s truck from a scratch chassis right up to a finished truck. And you, you kind of get to know the person and the things that he did, the things that I do, real basic common sense stuff just with your hands. Um, and I, I made contact with him and said, look, I love the way you do the videos. Um, how do you do it? I didn't okay. even know how to. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he gave me some insight and some tips and some help. And we saw that in the motorcycle community, certainly here, certainly the younger generation, we felt that there are, a lot of younger riders with badly maintained bikes, yeah, not no because it, you know, it's not because they don't care. It's just they don't know, and exactly. nobody teaches them. We aren't, we aren't a society anymore where dad passes on things to the son. Not certainly here. Um, colleges don't teach. They, colleges will give you a degree in motorcycle engineering to be a Harley master technician, but they won't teach how to do a, a cross-threaded bolt properly so that you don't damage anything else. The old hand skill. In fact, Jesse James himself says hand skills are a thing of the past, and in that sense, it must be retained. So we started spreading some stuff and did some projects and basic things like basic service, and it grew and grew. And the rest of it has simply been responding to requests every single day. That's right. I tell you, I've been very impressed. I tell you, before we go any further, let me just go on and say this: uh, I'm having a conversation now with. Uh, Dell from Dell Boys Garage on YouTube, and Dell's been running this channel now for you say five years. You've been doing this. It is five years, literally this this Christmas, five years. Yeah. And he's basically offering instructional videos on how to maintain their motorcycle, and I guess other things as well. Um, as you say on your uh, on your on your page, is a place where you post things to make, break, or fiddle with things. 
So <laughs> that's pretty much the case, right? It is. Everybody likes to do that. I think when people buy a motorcycle for themselves, they like to engage with it a bit more than just ride it up the road. And many of us can't afford to have it fixed at the dealer. So it's a great way to learn more about your bike, to become more at one with it and to understand it. And as you've done things and to your bike in, in maintenance and repair, you start to learn how to read it as it's going along the roadway. You can read if there's a fault, if there's a problem far sooner if you've taken care of it yourself. Then, if you just hand it to the dealer every five thousand miles and have a copy while you pay the bill, you know. And, and as you know, if you have a Harley Davidson, HD stands for a hundred dollars. So, <laughs> any moment you bring your motorcycle in there, it's a hundred dollars immediately right there. Um, I know that. I haven't heard that one, but yeah, I can understand. <laughs> so let me ask you this: uh, currently in your in your garage, how many motorcycles do you have? Not that much, just really and honestly, I have a Harley Davidson Sportster, an 883R, which is the my favorite Sportster. The, it's kind of the sportier of the Sportsters. Um, my wife Penny, she has the Triumph Scrambler, which we've modified quite heavily with big fat wheels. Uh, we've lowered it, uh, a, a short, stumpy exhaust. Uh, and I'm a big old Triumph Tiger. I mean, the, the mule I ride every day is a Triumph Tiger 955. It's all matte black um, with rope and rivets and and string and it's just a beast okay. it, it just it you, just hauls my ass to work of all of the motorcycles you have which is your absolute favorite to ride all the time um if a, a very wise man once said to me that if you have your favorite food every day it, it's no longer your favorite food so i love my harley the most but i wouldn't want to um as the saying goes kick the backside out of it so much i don't love it anymore i understand uh, so i ride it I ride it as much as I ride it as much as I can, but I don't ride it to work. It doesn't haul me to work in the rain because I have too much respect for it. And I believe that you must have something nice. You get up every day, you work hard, we earn our money, and you must have something nice to be proud of. So I love riding my Triumph Tiger. If I was going to ride around the world, I'd take the Triumph Tiger without doubt. But I still think my baby, the favorite, is my Harley Sportster. I just love going out on it. I feel at one with it. Uh, one with the round the world around me, you know. All right now, speaking of the 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 Triumph uh, Tiger, have you ever uh, read or listened to the uh, Ted Simon book on his Jupiter's travels, which was I his, he he actually did a, did a trip around the world on a Triumph Tiger in 1972. Uh, it took him five years to do it. It's an interesting book. It might something might want to check out. Uh, it's, I do. I'm, I love that sort of thing. I mean, it's been taken. And, and run with as far as possible with the Ewan and Charlie McGregor thing around the oh, world. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, that inspired a nation of, of people, inspired a, a generation of riders around the world to get back out there and to rather than just ride to the local beauty spot to have coffee, they decide to ride to the Road of Bones. You know, it's oh, just, absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, I think. So let me ask you as far as it goes for your riding preferences, do you have a riding preference? Oh, I do. I mean, for me personally, unfortunately, the ride for the slug to work is the, is the least. Of course. Uh, <laughs> I hope. Uh, not, not because of the, dis- <laughs> the, je- the destination, because I quite like my job, but it's, it's more, it's just, it's just miserable and it's, it's, you have to do it. I think it's a ride where I can forget about work. Life that I've ended up setting myself up, especially with YouTube and the garage and the videos and so on, we do two videos a week. We answer probably 500 messages a week we've ended up making a road for our back on this so we're always busy all of the time so for me the ride that i value the most is the one that i can when everything's done when as the saying goes we've taken care of business we can we can lock the door on the garage we can jump on the harley and i can just disappear 
just drop the clutch, head up the road, and not have anything to think about except the road ahead. And I can enjoy that, even if it's a short-lived half an hour to meet a, a, a friend for a, a coffee or something, or whether it's just a ride around. If I've got nothing to do, that's the ride. The ride where I don't have anything to do, anything to think about, where I can absolutely enjoy riding for the purity of what it is, what it's meant to be. That's a fantastic philosophy. Let me ask you this now: How close are you to your your work? How long of a commute do you have? And are, where exactly in the UK are you located? Are you close to London or? We we're not too far. I mean, England's very small, so everything's close to everything here um, by comparison. So we're about 150 miles from London. Uh, we get up there to the Ace Cafe, which is the, the original Ace Cafe, probably. Two or three times a year, it's a two or three hour ride. But work for me is a, is a 30 mile round trip. It's about 15 miles there, 15 miles back. So it's about 20, 25 minute ride, which again is why it's never really long enough, especially on a sunny afternoon. But that's when you take the longer route. So I, for me personally, I love riding, but it's just never long enough. Right. This is the problem. You know, I would love a big mammoth ride. We did have something catch on here a while ago, the Iron Buck Rally, which I oh, think yes. began a um, the, the Royal British Legion, which is the, the kind of ex-armed forces um, association here, have taken that up, and they're very big in organizing it. So it's called the RBLR, the Royal British Legion Ride. And it's the same format, 1,000 miles in 24 hours. I'd love to do that at some point, but just trying to find 24 hours to fit it into is the hardest part. Of course. Um, so in, answer, in answer to your question, I think personally, riding, just being able to ride for the sake of getting on the bike and enjoying the machine, that's something rare. That's absolutely right. Uh, now, as far as it goes for the roads that you ride in the area, are, would, are they more country back roads, or are you trying to get uh, some highway in there as well? No, we, this is the thing. We, where we live, as you didn't ask your previous question, we live in Dorset, which is a county on the south coast. Um, it's not very big in the sense that it's probably about 70 miles across and 70 miles north and south, and we're right on the south coast. Okay. So if you look at the map of England, the picture of England, right. uh, along the south coast, right in the center of the south coast is an island. That's the Isle of Wight. We're literally just on the mainland above that, more or less, to the left. And the coast road, that's what we ride. There's lots of countryside and the fantastic coast roads. Um, we have a thing here called the Jurassic Coast. If you look it up, it's what it refers to is the enormous deposits of dinosaur fossil reserves. And it's a famous part of England. Um, and the Jurassic Coast is very beautiful. It's cliffs, it's it's rolling coastal highways right on the beach, and some of it literally right on the beach, a matter of yards. So that's fantastic to go down the coast road all the way down to what we call the West Country, just towards Devon and Cornwall. Right. That's lovely. It becomes more and more rural. So I love riding in the countryside because you're away from cars and trucks. Because this is a crowded little island. The vehicles are getting more and more dense. We watch friends that we have there in Pennsylvania in Michigan where they ride along and it's just nothing. There's no cars, there's no buildings. Where is everybody? It is. Well, in the area that I live, that's where they are. They're all here. Where I They're live. all there. Right? Yes. We have, I mean, it's, it's even where we are, it's rural, but so densely populated and there are so many cars. Of course, we're also a tourist area because of the Jurassic Coast. It being a tourist area, come holiday season, when we get a chance to ride, bang, it's absolutely ram full of tourists. So without a bike, you don't go anywhere. If you, if you take your car, you just park. Oh, <laughs> just... that's nice. Yeah, you, that's something you want to do when you have bikes in the garage. Um, now, do you find that uh, with with the driving that you get, with all the tourist traffic that you get, 
do you feel that the ro roads are a little more dangerous for you because maybe many of these people are not riders and they don't have the riding sensibility? Is that well, that you, you're quite right. Yes, I mean families with with children. You know, are we there yet, Dad? And all this, Craig. Yeah, that does. It can be, but generally. We tend to find that because we have the privilege to be able to filter in this country, we there are there is no restriction on filtering. We can ride really? past any. Absolutely. I mean, it's only California, I believe, that allows it. That's there. correct. Um, we get some incredible stories. I've made some videos on the channel. If you look at the channel and you look at our playlists, we've got one on ride videos. Now, I tend to ride in a rather boisterous way, even <laughs> if I'm properly. You know, I believe that bikes are to be ridden. They're not. If I, if I want to go slowly, I'll walk. It's the, For me, the important thing is to be able to go past the traffic. There isn't much point. My second passion is is, is trucks. Uh, you know, a V8 pickup truck is everything I would want. I don't like cars particularly. They're not that interesting because you can't get a bike in the back. Right, so exactly. Truck, <laughs> you know, this, this is the... So for me, if I, if I had to have a four-wheeler, I'd have a big V8 pickup truck. But that's why we don't have four-wheel vehicles because... You can't go anywhere. When the season comes, you have to filter. You're always driving past vehicles, overtaking. You call it overtaking, filtering what you like, but we are allowed to do it anywhere and everywhere. So we do find quite rightly that it is challenging. You have to have your wits about you. People are not deliberately out to get you. They're just ignorant and distracted and their head's in a different place. They're outside their local area. They're in a strange place. So they don't know where they're going. They tend to make changes in direction without thinking. They see something at the last minute and dive off in a corner. So it is challenging, but I think that's all part of the challenge of riding a bike. I love it. Okay. Now, it, on that subject, what is the sentiment there uh, on non-riders towards uh, motorcyclists? Uh, well, as I said just now, because we don't have – I just to start this bit at the beginning – I find a lot of stories that we hear from people in Canada and America, how they tell us that they comment on the videos that I make of riding and saying that if I did that, uh, people would pull over and shoot me or they'd open the door and kill me. And I hear this all the time, how you would face aggression from riders, from car drivers, if you decided to illegally filter. And I think that isn't, that isn't surprising because if you're doing something that's not allowed, and you're enjoying a privilege of being able to go past the traffic, the jealousy of that guy stuck in the car, he then takes it upon himself to act as judge and jury, and then he perhaps acts aggressively towards Certainly, you. But we know absolutely. I hear this a lot. Now, because we don't have that problem, it's completely legal here to filter, as long as you follow the rules. There are rules. It's not completely without law. But obviously, if you don't do it in the wrong place and you do it in a safe manner and within the speed limit, it's completely allowed. And because of that, people don't really care so you'll find that if you, I did a video, if you check out the video I did, it's called The Language of Road Positioning. The video was based on how to position your motorcycle in the correct way when you want to pass uh, a car uh, so that they know you're there, they can see you, you give them fair warning, and they will pull over. It, it truly amazes our American viewers when they, they, they come across with staggered comments. They cannot believe that cars pull out of the way for us. But they do it because it's completely legal. They're happy to let us pass. And quite often, they don't want that intimidating feeling of a bike behind them. So on the whole, I find most car drivers are fine. I've, I've seen probably three or four times. Sometimes the BMW driver, you know, the Audi driver, <laughs> you know, the yes. one. Or the Range Rover driver. Absolutely. Um, 
efficient in certain areas, they will tend to do that. And I think often if you are a gentleman on the road and you act in that manner, you, you show courtesy to others, I don't think you'll get the aggression. I think if you get it, often you deserve it because it's down to you as much as it is them. Now, do you find that there's a lot of distracted drivers over there? Always, absolutely. I mean, telephones, makeup, eating food, drinking. I've seen a video over here. So I pulled up next to a woman in a car on a morning going to work in the community. And truly, she was eating a bowl of cereal with, <laughs> you know, cocoa frosty pops or whatever. Right. In, in Literally with a spoon at the wheel with her knees steering the wheel. And of course, this is not uncommon. So, yeah, people are horrendously distracted. The biggest issue here is the mobile phone. Of course. Um, people seem, we have the wonders of Bluetooth and, and hands-free and all of this, but people still seem want to pick up their phone. It isn't so much now physically talking and taking phone calls. It's the wonders of the iPhone and the Apple phone and so on, or whatever, um, where they'll just sit there and they'll check in their emails and they're, they're scanning and surfing YouTube. <laughs> hopefully not, yes. <laughs> not hopefully watching our videos, but not when they're driving. That, that's the thing I do for you. Yeah, there is a huge amount of distraction but I think this is where it's all the more important when you look at the video language of road positioning. It's, it's giving that driver the time to see you, giving them the ability to see you. Nobody's going to see something if, they, if they're not looking in that direction. And sometimes it takes a minute to get their attention. So being patient and defensive riding. The advanced guys here, the advanced rider guys will tell you that defensive riding is what it's about. Um, riding in a way that allows everybody the opportunity to see you and take action to preserve your safety. Oddly, one of the best um, commercial companies, because we see commercial trucks on the road all the day, and the one that stands out head and shoulders is UPS. We have UPS trucks here too, the big brown and gold uh, bands. Yes, of course. And I don't know whether their drivers have actually taught this, but any time you ride and you come up towards one, either in either direction, they will move over for you long before you get there. They make a survival space for you. Even if they don't have that space, they'll be up the verge, they'll be in the hedge or in a tree trying to get a space for you to pass. Always UPS. I don't know why. Perhaps it's something to do with the way they're taught by their bosses when they're when they I'm train. sure they have some sort of uh, rules within the company and how they should behave on the road because it is a reflection of the company. Uh, here right. here in the U.S., what we have is a, a there's a, a me-first mentality among drivers. Um, <laughs> I have a 50-mile commute to work each day. So for me, and I'm driving on a highway majority of the time and what I find is everybody's more interested in getting to where they're going and less about what is in their way uh, to yeah. them uh, as a motorcycle rider I, I make sure that I am well seen and I always in I am in the drive lane on the for us it would be on the left side uh, on the left side of the drive lane and yeah. of course our headlights on as many lights on as we could possibly have maintaining that visibility and safe uh, following distance, uh, which yep. which I, I, I'm seeing is a major problem with a lot of riders. They're not maintaining that safe distance between themselves and the vehicle right. in front of them. Uh, my brother, he's had he's had one accident that way where he had to stop quickly um, because he was he did come up on another rider uh, quickly. Um, but this is something that we do have to deal with a lot. Is is the yeah. heavy volume of traffic mm. here in the U.S. Uh, in more, in the more congested areas, but as you said, like out in areas like Pennsylvania, Michigan, upstate New York, uh, mm. there is nobody. There yeah. is nobody in these areas, and the roads are oh. absolutely beautiful. We we have 
motor well you call freeways we use the name motorway same thing um in the county we live dorset there actually is no motorway no freeway at all none of that three-lane highway it doesn't exist it's all what we term as a roads which are kind of just minor roads right. so go outside dorset go to the surrounding counties of hampshire wiltshire and that sort of thing around us then there are big fast motorways and then when you get towards london uh, and up into the midlands then it well there's a place in the midlands known as Truckfest or the bullring <laughs> it's just an area right. of uh, uh, where all the trucks converge because this country is pretty sort of like a long strip Yes. Uh, and everything goes north-south. Everything travels north-south. And therefore, in the center of the country, that's where all the the trunk truck depots are. So everybody, if you're going to set up a company um, delivering freight in England, you set it up in the center of the country, so it's equal distance to go north or south. Correct. And if you go around the area, then it's as you described, it is truck fest. You wouldn't want to go around there on a the bike. It's not enjoyable. It, you're pretty frightened. You feel very small. Now, I can imagine. Now, do, do you have to travel very far to get to these rural areas where there is not that truck traffic? No, because as I said, with Dorset, the county of Dorset and the south coast where we live, we have no freeway, we have no motorway here. It's oh, just okay. one road. So it's very rural straight away. I mean, we are two miles from the coast itself. From the end of our road, we can see the harbour, Pool Harbour, um, which is the second biggest natural harbour in the world next to Sydney Harbour. It's huge. Nice. And the road... All around it, all the roads around the harbour, right down to the coast, the Jurassic Coast, they're all beautiful. So no, within five minutes, we can be on a open country road. But that's the thing, because it's so beautiful and so tourist-based in the summer, so is everybody else. So that's, okay. that's, and it does get congested, it does get busy, and that's why we ride bikes so much. So Of course. Now, have you had the opportunity to ride in the U.S. at all? No, I wish. Um, I haven't. I haven't. And I, it's one of those things. We, and my wife Penny runs a business, our family business. She's a jeweler and she runs a, a high street store um, six days a week. And I myself work driving a bus for a day job. So that's a six day week and it pays the bills. And of course, the YouTube keeps it busy. But we'd love to. I'd love to take the opportunity to perhaps take a month out. And uh, certainly the videos that we've seen from our friends in Michigan, Pennsylvania, I'd love to ride that kind of country. <laughs> But also, we've got many other contacts from people down in the south, uh, people in Georgia, Alabama, Texas, and that countryside is fascinating. We've never seen that desert-style countryside. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Lovely. That is you know, beautiful. Death Valley, Nevada. You see, it's, it's iconic. To us, Death Valley, Nevada, to ride that, what is it, 50-mile straight road, isn't it? It doesn't, doesn't move for no. 50 miles. Lock, lock off the steering and go make some lunch. You know? Exactly. So tell me, what are some of the projects you have uh, going on right now or coming up that we can see right. on your channel? Well, the biggest project, the absolute biggest one, is we're about to move to a new garage. This one that we're in is a rented um, unit, and we're about to buy one. So once that comes off and all the paperwork goes through and all the real estate guys have done their work, hopefully before Christmas, so that we can move through the Christmas break, that's the biggest project. Once we're installed in the new place and we've got it how we want it, I've got to do some interior work, build decent benches. I want to get the machinery in place. So really setting up a new shop, I think, is, is the first project. Once that's done, as far as the bikes are concerned, um, you may, I don't know if you follow things, but I've got this sports that we had the most incredible fortune from uh, one of your countrymen, a chap in Pennsylvania. We had an email one day, said that he'd entered a competition uh, to win a sports that. Um, and he won. Oh, excellent. And 
it wasn't really his kind of thing. Um, he's got a KTM 1290 and he wasn't really into Harleys. Um, so would we like it? Oh. <laughs> it was nice. outrageous. It's, it's all on the videos. And I, basically what he did was he gifted this Harley. It was in, it's in England. He entered the competition in, in England and they were going basically said, look, we can either ship this thing across to you to Pennsylvania or we'll sell it and send you the money. He said, no, no, I don't need it. Uh, there's this guy, Devil's Garage. I want you to give it to him. So we, that, that was, was very the nice. It was. He's a nice very, guy. Very generous. Very, very outrageously, ridiculously, and obscenely jealous. But one of those things, I guess he has learned so much from the videos. That's how it touched him. A friend of mine said, well, think of it this way. He didn't really give you a Harley. He gave you a ticket that won. Right. And in that sense, it wasn't a big outlay for him in the sense that he actually owned the bike. But that was something that struck straight to my heart. It really did. How the brotherhood of biking take away all the nothing to do with outlaw clubs, nothing to do with patches or or anything, any form of affiliation to anybody. Just the entire brotherhood of biking, the worldwide brotherhood of all of us, the 99 percenters, if you like. Yes. Um, we are a family, a oh, world. Oh, no, absolutely. And we think the same. We feel the same. But one of us and we all bleed. And I think there aren't many of us that not lost biking buddies. In one respect or another, it may be a bike accident, it could be an illness. But we, we lose all of them and we feel all of them. And some of the most profound rides for me, not just whether it be in, in the US, I would love to ride the roads there, but even here when we're riding and that's that I can strike that time on the bike where there's just myself and the road ahead. That's the time I talk to my friends. I talk to my friends that are not here. Um, I tell them how life is. I ask them if they'd be impressed with what we're up to and what we're doing. And I, I ask them if their life is good wherever they might be. I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. And I think that's when we can connect with each other. So we are a brotherhood, a spiritual brotherhood. And I think that's something that why we do so much for YouTube to reach out to our fellow riders to just give them a hand that's what it's all about that's very wonderful Dell. I, I tell you that that that, that really reaches me i uh, you're, you hit it right on the head we are a brotherhood and there is a great many people that from all walks of life regardless of what kind of motorcycle they may ride we all have the same connection we, we have the ability to have a conversation about the ride which is the most important thing your, your bike is your passport i don't think there, there is some snobbery among biking, unfortunately, and <laughs> a little, <laughs> a little, a little. But I try to transcend that because it doesn't really matter what you ride; it just exactly. matters that you ride. And I think some of the younger riders we see are the most precious people because most of us are old farts, really. We, we're all on our last legs, aren't we? And <laughs> you know, our generation is—if we're not careful, we'll be the last. Because let's face it. The legislators will have us off the roads in a day if they could, because we don't really contribute much. In England, there's a, a, a sad and tragic statistic, and that is that we, uh, bikers that is, we form 1% of the road traffic, but we are involved in 20% of road traffic collisions. And therefore, we create a bigger risk to the health industry and everything else. So in that sense, if they could have us off the roads, they would. So if we don't encourage the younger riders if we don't embrace them engage with them meet them at places where because i mean let's face it you look around any bike meet you'll see the youngsters there usually stand there in their very different clothing with a very different attitude i mean something that impresses me the most is the new 
phase thing of uh, groups like Straight Up, they're a, a group over there, um, they're a stunt riding crew, and they all ride Harleys, and they all stunt their Harleys. These guys are doing 12 o'clock wheelies on diners. They're taking baggers and they're wheeling them for a mile. That's yeah, I, I, I find that very amazing. I've seen it done. It is, it is, this is just talent, raw talent. There's, um, there's, there are kids on the, on the tube doing things on Harleys that embarrass us on farts. And I think it's fantastic. <laughs> and I love them. And I want to help them. The most of them, they won't have a clue how to do their clutch adjustment. They'll just book it in, as you said, pay the $100. Yeah. And I think in that sense, they haven't got that $100 because most of them are on students and they're on low wages and so on. And they need that assistance and help. And I think I remember a long, long time ago when I was probably just a snotling myself, some sort of 17-year-old, and I was at a bike meet. And I, I just came upon a Hells Angel standing looking at a bike. And there you are, terrified of this guy who, with all the reputation gone before him. And he stand next to him and he looked at the bike and he looked at me just sideways and said, all right, mate, how's it going? I just, I just nearly melted. He spoke to me. Oh, my. And you kind of feel epic for that moment that this enormous person in your perception has spoken to you and embraced you just with an, all right, mate, how are you doing? That's all it is, just a greeting. They've greeted you, they've accepted you to their family, to their brotherhood, just because you ride a bike too. And I was probably 17 when it happened. And I think it's so important for all of us when we become that age, when we become at that height, not necessarily in a club, but if we are an older rider, someone's been doing it, you know, you turn into a bit of a grey beard in the future. And you can reach over to a younger rider, uh, give them a lending hand, uh, offer them some advice and guidance, and they can learn from that, save money from that. And some of the messages we get tell us that this is a mission, if not, if that's not too righteous a way to put it. But we, we have to take, all of us, not just me on the channel or anything else, but all of us older bikers, we have to be on a mission to get out there and make sure that we see the next generation safely on the way to looking after biking's future for all of us. Absolutely. That's a wonderful message that you're spreading. Um, now, on your channel... I, I have seen a couple times where you were not actually working on a bike, but you would simply address the camera. Uh, do you do that often? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we did some um, rather fantastic Q&A videos with a, a buddy of mine, and Penny, where we just sat down and we answered questions. We bunged a shout-out for the questions a week before. Right. We got about 500. So we, oh, had okay. to that. so we answered 25 questions, the ones we felt were the most poignant, and that was technical questions, interesting questions, some personal stuff people like to know about us, and it really, really worked. So I do. I love to address the camera. I love to stand in front of it and talk to the audience and engage with them because I think it's very few videos that you see. People actually will put themselves on the camera. Um, now, I'm nothing to look at, and I'm certainly no talent. I'm not an actor, but I do believe that as long as I'm talking about bikes, I'm fine. That's it. <laughs> now, how often does Penny go riding with you? Oh, if I'm on the Harley, always. We. The reason I love the Sportster is because with her on the Scrambler, the bikes are nice and equal, and we just cruise along together. Um, so, yeah, all the time that we're recreation riding, if it's not for work and back, then nearly all the time. Very, very rarely do I ever ride without one. She's um, 15 years up now since she started riding. Uh, before that, she was a good 10, 12 years as a pillion on the back of my bike. Uh, and she's very good. She's a talented rider. She's got lots of skills. She can filter if oh, we're yeah. in heavy traffic. She can tear through heavy traffic with the rest of us. Um, 
and I don't have to worry about her too much. Uh, even when you get the intimidating, um, shall we say, trouser-deficient chaps in their Audis <laughs> who try to carve her up, she does tend to give her own. She'll go through, uh, we, we actually came through London once, we came around, there's the M25 freeway or motorway, which is a ring round London, and it's absolutely enormous. It gets just parked out sometimes. It's so solid, it just comes to a grinding halt. And we came down there one afternoon. We got we left her parents' house in London at the wrong time. And we ended up, it was absolutely gridlocked. And she was in front of me doing 60 miles an hour between the traffic, rev-bombing the cars to get them out of the way. <laughs> Which makes me enormously proud, as you can imagine. I, I'm sure that her uh, riding like that can kind of upstage you a little bit then, right? <laughs> One thing we did, this is interesting, calling back to a question you said earlier, is about how do we engage car drivers towards us. When she used to wear pink and ride a, a, we, on a first Sportster that we built, I did it in the 1958 Duo Glide colors, which is the peppermint green and white yes. uh, with white wall tires. It was very girly. The bike was very pretty. And with her in a pink gear and so on, all she used to get all of the time was carved up and shoved into the ditch by cars because they see a female on a Harley and straight away she would ride in uh, um, a submissive way as she rides up the road a non-aggressive way and she found that all the time she had problems since then she's changed to black leathers um a black bike she rides aggressively and she's never had a problem since <laughs> so what does it tell you i don't know go figure <laughs> that's fantastic now as far as it goes for uh, again getting back to what your projects may be outside of moving into the new garage do you have any bikes uh, the new bike you're going to be working on the new sportster uh, do you, what kind of things do you have planned for that that we can I do. expect? I'd like to do the back end. I, I've never been a great fan of the traditional rear fender of the Dyna and um, and the Sportster bikes. I do love the ducktail fender that went on the uh, Softail, uh, the original Softail Springer, uh, but not for a Sportster. I think something more street, something a little bit more, I think, uh, street bike or cafe, as you might call it. So I want to completely remodel the back end. That's a bit of an interesting project. Involved cutting the seat rails off, taking away the rear fender, making a proper seat unit. I did have an XR1200 for a while. Yes, that's um, a great bike. They are great. They they have a lot of deficiencies. They're not. They need a lot of work to make them handle. But we did. I got it going well. And but it was just. It still needed something, and that's where I think I'm going to try and take the Sportster in a direction that makes it a bit more street. I fitted the drag bars now. It's going to be rear sets very much a, well i don't know if you use the term street fighter bike over there but street fighters here are a huge thing they're but it's a street fighter bike is an aggressive forward length angry looking bike that's ridden in an aggressive angry way um and, over and here that, over here we call that a sport bike <laughs> well we have sport bikes so i mean sport bikes are you know you can call them power rangers here because that's how yes, the guys that, that's what we call them here too yeah, they tend to dress that way and, and bless them. And I think, <laughs> sorry. It's okay. Right. It's quite all right. No, nothing wrong with that. I think race bikes are cool and I don't have any problem with that. I love all bikes. It doesn't matter what they are. Even baggers and big tour glides. I love that kind of thing. But for me, yeah, it's the Sportster. I'd love to do that. But once it's, I don't really want to change it too much because the Sportster is a fantastic platform. It's a great package. There isn't really much you can do other than just make it different. And I don't want to make it different. I want to make it better. So the tail end's got to be changed. Once that's done, then it's some rear set foot pegs. I want to create some proper rear sets for it. That involves the different exhaust. So it's, it's an ongoing nibble at that all the time. But long term, I would like to build a frame up 
bike or to do a frame up build. So, you know, the traditional way, build a jig, start with an engine or a motor, as you might call it. And once you've got that, then build a frame around it. But something completely unique, not the traditional thing. I watch OCC and even Jesse James, who I respect the most. Uh, and it, it's just the same old bike that churns off the ramp every time. Exactly. It's got hardtail frame, 240 back end, spring of forks. It's the same rate, two up, two out, same tank, same this. And they say, you know, oh, look, I'll put the picture of some company on the air cleaner and it's their bike. I think it's got to be different in a unique way, something completely wild. I did see a company in the U.S. doing a hydro drive. They do a fluid pump that pumps the rear wheel. So effectively, no oh, change. No belt. Yeah, it's a fantastic system. It simply works by having a hydraulic pump fed off the end of the transmission and then two rubber hoses or two, two hydraulic hoses that feed to another pump in the back wheel and that pumps the hub. So you literally have a fluid drive back end. That's fascinating. I love that kind of thing that's just off the wall. So I think the biggest project, there'll be a long-term big build that I want to get involved in once we get the new shop up and running, and that will be a permanent bench build. It will be on the bench till it's finished and try and incorporate new and innovative things that have not been done before. Try and bend the rules a little bit, do different things, because so much has already been done by some of the most awesome bike builders, especially in the USA. So now, by the sounds of it, you may have to staff up a little bit. Um. Not really. I think it's always going to be amateur, always going to be between work. This is like so many things. When you look at, take, and I know I mention him a lot, but you take what was once West Coast Choppers, you take Jesse James, he would be the person driving any bike build. He would, he would design the bike. He would be involved in the build from start to finish. He would make the most interesting parts. And it's the same with Matt Hotch, if you've ever heard of him. Um, hot match motorcycles or hot match cycles. Matt Hotch builds his own bikes. He has an enormous orange warehouse. I think he's in California. And he bought this old 1930s orange packing warehouse. So it's a fabulous old 30s building. He's got 100 machines in there. And he's the only guy. Wow. That's me. I okay. love that. Well, all right. You're in you charge. Look up Matt, <laughs> Matt Hotch builds his own bikes. He builds his bikes one by one, by hand, himself. And when you buy a bike from Matt Hotch, it's a Matt Hotch bike. It's not built by his staff, some lackey, some bumper, some gopher, get, go get me this and build it together and then we'll pump that out as ours. doesn't work that way. And I know that that's exactly how some of the bigger bike builders got going. They build the bike themselves. And the minute they become staffed up, as you call it, I, I think you lose something. It's not you anymore. It's now it becomes less personal. So with regard to your YouTube channel, um, I, I, how many... Uh, subscribers do you have to your channel right now do you know uh, to the to the, the last night we were 39,691 so um, I think 39,700 we're just we're just rocking set of 40,000 which isn't many in the grand scheme there are people out there with two million so we, we're tiny in the in the grand scheme of things but you do get a lot of views on a lot of your videos. I'm looking at one video here right now where you have over 5,000 views. Here's another one for 183,000 views you've had on uh, one particular. You did your how to do a stubby uh, Yoshi stubby race Yoshi. hand. Yeah, that was uh, 183,000 views. Uh, here's some here. 315,000 views on your emergency puncture repair. Yeah, that's, this is the way the irritation hits you. I mean, I spent my favorite video, the one I enjoyed the most, is the clutch adjustment. Harley Sportster clutch adjustment. Many people take their Sportster to get their $100 uh, uh, invoice because they can't, you know, they, 
A 5,000 mile service on a Sportster is a piece of cake. It's an oil change, it's a safety check, that's it. But it does contain one job which frightens people. It's the adjusting the clutch pack inside the derby cover. So take the derby cover off, you have to adjust a little nut in there and put it back on. People are terrified of that. So we made a video and it's had 250 odd thousand hits, great. And within a year, it was overtaken. I came to go to work one day, and I always do a safety check. I roll around the tires, make sure. And I found a piece of wire hanging out the tire. It was my own fault. It was a piece of lock wire. I snipped it off something. It fell on the floor, and I picked it up with a tire. And it went right through. So I pulled it out, got a puncher. I had to go to work. I quickly fixed it. And that video is now 300,000 hits. It's just <laughs> it's, go figure, you know? Uh, well, I want you to know that you're... Uh belt adjustment video I actually watched to guide me to adjust the belt on my heritage soft tail really yes really did it, did it go well you got it, it okay actually it went uh, rather odd first I had I don't know if you've ever been following our podcast but I for uh, months I had a squeak I did uh, follow some of your some of your rules on on adjusting the belt and it went really well the squeak is gone thankfully but uh, I did refer to your video and in fact I've, I've looked at your videos on a couple of occasions uh, with regard to because I used to own a Sportster I had a Sportster 883 from uh, 1994 and wow. I used uh, I watched one of your videos to uh, do the actually do my brakes when I first had yep. the bike all of, all of your videos are very informative uh, really impressive we just try to make with all of the videos, we just try to make them as simple as we can. I don't think there's any mystery in it. I've never loaded a video that's a technically in, in, integral job. Uh, I try not to delve inside the motor because it's very important that we don't lead the novice viewer down a path they can't reverse out of. Because naturally, everybody has fear, fear of brakes. Brakes are a safety issue. Brakes are scary. The thought of getting something wrong, making a mistake and then hurting yourself on the highway or somebody else were still right. that that strikes fear into people and in that sense i think well look, you know for a hundred dollars this guy get it done it's not exa exactly you know and that's it and they give up that so what we try to do is show people not just this is how you do it but this is actually how simple it is it's often a really uncomplex and simple job and to light a fire under somebody's confidence and to make them watch the video. Let's face it, we watch something done. It's 10 times quicker to learn. If you say this conversation, if we wrote it down, it would take 96 pages already. It's just that read a manual, it doesn't make much sense, especially if you're not a nerd and you don't speak like a manual. None of us do. We speak plain English. And if somebody says, look, take this cover off, the foot peg will be in the way a bit, so just take one bolt out and drop it back. Take the cover off. Be careful not to mince the bolts. And inside there, you adjust this little nut. Hey, how it's as easy as that. How hard can it be? Exactly. And that know, they're funny because there are um, YouTube uh, videos that I have watched uh, for instruction on how to do something, and mostly they were full of what I like to call techno babble, uh, which <laughs> yeah. is what I really don't want to hear. Yeah. Just show me and tell me how to do it. I don't need mm -hmm. to know the ins and outs of it. And that's what I like about your videos. You get right. This is how you do it. And this is what right. people need to hear. This is how it yeah. needs to be done. I think it's important to make it simple. If you're going to teach anything, you have to speak to the people to whom you're preaching in a language they would want to understand it in. It's let's face it, we bikers are simple folks. We're not we're not intellectuals, we're not 
um, deep thinkers. We just like to ride bikes. And I think sometimes we often don't have the money because the bike in many family households is the secondary thing. It's the toy. It's the weekend fun. It's the indulgence and justifying whatever the cost. I mean, in reality, the $100 joke I get, but in reality, actually, you're looking more like about 500 I think, um, oh, certainly yeah. in English. It's 350 pounds for a basic service and 700 now for an in-depth service, pounds. So you're perhaps looking at eight, $900 or perhaps 1000 for the major service. Easily. Um, and when I see the swaggering people that come out the back of dealerships sometimes with racing shirts and their snap-on tools cap on, I sometimes think, really? Are you the guy that's so mysterious and fabulous? You ain't nobody. I can do what you do. And you can because... He goes on, to, I've seen the, the teaching on the Harley Master Tech course, and it's 90% waffle and 10% information. And I've just had an email this very evening from a young man who said he's just finishing off college. And he said he's learned more from the videos in two years than he's learned from two apprenticeships he's done and one college course. Because when he starts talking, when the, when the tutor starts talking, he starts yawning. Because the guy just goes into way too much detail. He doesn't touch on the important things. And he doesn't inspire their confidence. He doesn't light a fire under people's confidence to make them feel they can do it themselves, to empower them to get stuck in and do it themselves. Right. Once the, you've done it, once the, you've done it yourself, how hard is it? When you rode your bike, nobody stood there and spoke to you for nine hours about how to do it. They said, there's the bike, jump on, these are the controls, off you go. Exactly. And you learn. And, you know. That's great. That's, again, going back to techno babble. That's what the, yeah. they're getting out of it. Um, well, Del, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with me and tell me how things are. I, I really look forward to seeing many, many more of your videos. Well, thanks, uh, and, and I'm glad you t can take the time. One more thing is, so is Penny your cameraman all the time? Penny's my wife of 30 years. I know that. <laughs> if I were to tell you that, in fact, I am to tell you that we were actually married when she was seven. It was an Arabic wedding. Otherwise, you'll realize, you'll realize how young she is. Um, no, no, she is. She loves doing the camera work because she likes to be involved in the garage and she's not interested in breaking fingernails and getting dirty and greasy because she works with jewelry every day and she needs her hands for that and it can be dangerous you know we all injure ourselves in the garage at some point you know you've all cut and nick yourself so yeah she doesn't do the the physical stuff she does her own bike she likes to get involved in maintenance on her own bike under my supervision she enjoys that but she's very good with the camera she's good at editing as you've seen and more important than anything else she's a great technical director she will tell me if something looks rubbish or if it looks good <laughs> you tell me i'm waffling like a monkey and be quiet <laughs> or to say that again in a different way. She'd tell me to mind my language because I tend to cuss if I'm annoyed, and as you do. And I think she's she's my voice of reason. She's my, um, my like I just said, she's the technical director, the person that, as far as the video is concerned, you talk so much as you did about the fact the videos are simple and easy to understand and straightforward. That's her influence. She's the person who makes it clear. Because she's um, a non mechanical person she's uh she's a rider or she's a biker herself and she wants to understand these things but she doesn't have the technical knowledge that i do so she makes sure that i explain it in a way she understands and in that sense if she understands it everybody does and that's no disrespect man well, that's fantastic that she's there doing it with you, and I really, uh, I, I really admire everything that you are doing for the motorcycle community, and, and I hope that you keep doing it for many years to come. We will do. We enjoy it. We want to meet more people. This is the main thing. We're going to try and get to the U.S. 
in the next year or so, we've got some very, very good friends there that we know could show us around and show us a great time. So it's definitely a plan to come to the USA, to visit as many people as we can. Probably the best way to do it would, would come to something like Daytona or Sturgis, one of the big meets, and make it clear that we're going to be there and try and hook up with as many people as we can so that we can actually meet some of our amazing fans from the USA. Because probably when we look at our figures, we have as many fans in, in England as we do in the USA as equal, and the rest of the world comes under by a significant drop. So probably three quarters of our viewers are split between England or Britain and America. That's three quarters. The other one quarter is the rest of the world. So I think it's the right thing for us at some point to come and see you. That is, again, if you do come to the U.S., certainly, by all means, let me know, and somehow we'll try to hook up. That'd be we will. Well, listen, That's again, fantastic. thank you very much for spending the time with me. I know it's late for you guys, uh, I, and I really appreciate you taking the time out to speak with me and uh, keep uh, pushing your uh, uh, YouTube channel on our website and, of course, on our podcast. Thanks really appreciate that that's quite alright uh, that's all I have for now is if there's anything okay. anything you want to know <laughs> I'm not really Ted I will, will, I'm sure that in the sense of email we'll keep in touch and if you Absolutely. do when you're ready just send us a link and we'll I'd love to have a look at it and we're definitely going to keep in touch because this is what we've done with everybody that we've touched base with in the US everybody and there are dozens so far including yourselves we've made sure we've kept in touch on a regular basis because when the time comes to come over there we will definitely not miss the opportunity to come and see you Thank you very much, Dell. I appreciate it. Thanks, uh, Again, you take Thanks, care Dad. of yourself. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you, my friend. God bless. Okay, same to you. Okay. All right, that was it. That was the interview with uh, Dell from Dell Boys Garage. Uh, this is Motorcycle Men. I am Ted. Uh, this is going to be our uh, year-end podcast. We're going to resume right after the uh, first of the year, so please have a wonderful holiday. Have a Merry Christmas and a happy and safe New Year. If you're out there still riding, please be very careful. Watch out for everybody and please ride safe, wear your gear, and dress warm. Take care, and we'll see you soon.